0: Hey there, I'm Rachel Geringer, and you're tuned in to a very special edition of Mountain Talk here on WMMT. This episode is jam-packed with memories of the one and only Jim Webb, shared by some of his many friends and family. Jim, better known as Wiley Quixote over the airwaves, was the eccentric and punny heart of this radio station since WMMT was born in 1985. Join us for the next hour as we celebrate the memory of the one and only
1: Wiley Quixote. I'm Rob Webb, born at the family home in the lower bottom of Whitesburg, Kentucky. I'm the older brother of Jim Webb, known here on WMMT as Wiley Quixote, born in Hazard, but just recently Jim left us passing in his beloved cabin up on Pine Mountain. Jim was one of a kind, but as brothers, we shared a love for the mountains and talking on the radio or TV. Our lives intertwined with our love of radio. I pursued a career studying radio TV production at Ohio State and then enlisted in the Army as I was about to be drafted. While in the Armed Forces Radio and Television Service, And stationed in the mountains of Ethiopia and Eritrea, I was assigned to direct and perform at the base radio and television station. After the Army, my radio career took me to Texas and California. While back at Hazard High School, Jim was a grateful and eager recipient of my acquired record collection, remaindered from an overstocked radio station where I was a disc jockey. Years later, at my wedding to Patty, Jim was my best man and toasted my wife and me while telling our guests of his introduction to radio and music via those records I had sent him over the years. That wedding took place at the weekend country home i bought after working in radio and television in, in New York City for 20 years. I recently retired from CBS television and radio and sold that farmhouse we had had in the Catskill Mountains for 35 years, not far from the Appalachian Trail. A year ago in November, as Jim and I packed up a truck headed back down to Pine Mountain full of overstocked stuff from that weekend house, we recalled the story of the first flock of flamingo yard art I'd bought in New York City and installed at that Catskill farm as a joke. They'd had an end-of-summer sale on pairs of plastic flamingos, and thinking that one pair was tacky, I bought eight pairs and carried them around New York City in a clear plastic bag while working at studios in Manhattan that day. Jim loved the idea of this flock of flamingos grazing in the Catskill Mountains, and soon they had migrated to Pine Mountain, and the rest is history with Jim's phenomenal Pine Mountain Tacky Lawn Ornament and Pink Flamingo Soiree, which Jim had perfected by the 33rd event this last year at Wiley's Last Resort. One of a kind, Jim may well have gotten some ideas from his older brother about radio and flamingos, but he sure knew how to sling a pun, run with a radio career, or write significant poetry really, and he could swarp with the best of them. You can take the boy out of the mountains, just can't take the mountains out of the man. I sure do miss my brother, Jim.
2: My name is Parker Hobson, and um, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, right now. Um, I spent a little over four years living in Whitesburg and working for WMMT, I was wondering if I would have to try to figure out when I first met Jim. I really don't remember um, which you'd think I know some people have some really great Jim origin stories, um, but i don't I can't point to one specific moment um, where I met Jim. I know that like kind of very early on into my time at wmmt uh, I feel like i kind of Jim and I kind of bonded spiritually over a love of stupid wordplay and, and silly puns and stuff. Um, I was writing newsletters for the station early on in my time there, and um, I had a bunch of puns in a newsletter or something, and he responded after I sent it out to everybody with, thanks for the wood girds, which was he just spoonerized good words into wood girds, and it didn't really make <laughs> sense, but it was funny. And like I, it was just kind of like from the beginning, I don't know. I think we—I very much appreciated that about Jim.
0: Since you knew Jim mostly through the radio, or at least that's how you got to know him, I wonder if there are things that you learned about making good radio and especially good community radio from Jim.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we all learned heaps from Jim. I think anybody who's passed through WNMT has learned something from Jim. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard a better on air radio presence in terms of a mixture of silliness, which I think is really important for the radio is like being able to make fun of yourself a little bit and make fun of what you're doing and keep the spirit light and not take yourself too seriously. I think Jim was a shining example of that on a daily basis. And remembering that like people, I don't know, turning on the radio is special, right? It's, it's, it's these waves that are floating in the air. And if you have this machine <laughs> that has an antenna, uh, wherever you are, if you're within a listening area, you can just like turn on this machine and capture these things. And it's a real kind of intimate way to connect with people. And it's a different kind of thing than the Internet because there's so much available through the Internet that it all can kind of feel diluted, I think. But I think there's something that remains enduring and special about the way you can connect with people on the radio. And Jim was so acutely aware of that and the kind of conversational tone that he would have, but also mixed in with the silliness. You just felt like with a lot of NMT DJs, and that's what's so great about it, is you feel like you can really get to know them because people just are themselves on the radio. That's so much of the point of the station. And Jim was just so, such a paragon of that, just like so unabashedly himself, but also concerned with keeping people listening and keeping people engaged and throwing in little touches that you can't hear anywhere else, like giving a traffic report on Madison Avenue. There either is traffic or there isn't, when he would look out the window. And the, all the little details of his show, how if he read the weather, the weather was brought to you by the cracked investigative staff like that. I mean, obviously, they didn't exist, but it was just <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, if you heard him a couple times and you tuned in again, you would start to know all of his kind of inside jokes and feel like you were a part of something. And in terms of the whole kind of magic of the radio, it's like turn on the radio and hear his show with all of its, with like its whole kind of universe um, of things that happened every week and his phrases and wilyisms. Um, yeah, you felt like you were participating in something special, um, which is really the magic of WMMT, and he was really the heart of that magic for so long. But I also think, in terms of learning about radio, is like Jim. Jim was such a, a good community organizer um, in all these different little ways, and he was just so unabashedly himself that he was able to know and befriend a really wide range of people. Um, that was something special too about going up to his space, the last resort. Is like you never know, you would never know who you would run into up there, um, because so many people considered Jim to be a friend. Um, he was such, he was a good interviewer. He was, he was really good at listening and letting people talk, which was, again, the whole mission of an And I think that's part of why a lot of people considered him a good friend too.
0: I think that my last question for you is just, um, either kind of, if you have one just super vivid memory of Jim that you'd want to share, or if like how you, how you hope Jim is remembered. Yeah,
2: I think, I, I feel like one of the more salient aspects of Jim's kind of spirit to me is kind of kind of the fact that silliness is worth fighting for. And I know that sounds kind of goofy and maybe overly high-minded, but like, so much of what he did was bringing goofiness into the world in all these different ways. Um, but also, I mean, hell, Jim Jim was a good friend. And yeah, I met him through the radio, but my favorite memories with Jim were just hanging out with him at Summit City after work or just being up at his place and um, shooting the breeze with him. And like the real interest he had just in me and my life and, um, just he was, I don't know. He was <laughs> just one of the kinder and more caring people that I've known, and I, I knew a lot of us who worked at the station. Sometimes we would encounter Jim at his <laughs> in moments of smarm, um, but I don't know anybody else who's ever cared about anything else as much or or more. I would say than Jim cared about WMMT, and if we ever encountered the smarm, it was that was why. Um, And yeah, apart from everything high minded, um, Jim was a good friend and just a real light.
3: Hi, my name is Judy Jennings, and uh, I live in Louisville, Kentucky now. I've lived up here for a while since 1991. But I first met Jim, I first got to know Jim well uh, when I came and worked at Apple Shop, which I came to Apple Shop in 1987, and the radio was just a Pretty much, in, I think maybe its first year. Then it was just getting started. Everybody was really excited and uh, about having the radio station. And um, so I came to Apple Shop to work on uh, the first the campaign for the first endowment for Apple Shop, which was a, a new stage because we were trying to get some uh, financial stability for the future and uh, have an endowment that would serve all the projects. So. The, uh, our fundraising really depended on uh, all the projects and a, a, a lot of people at Apple Shop helping out. And a lot of people at Apple Shop did help out. But Jim was always ready to help out and uh, always had a good idea, right, about a way to raise some funds uh, for Apple Shop and the endowment. So he got one of his friends in Lexington, and I don't know how, I do not know how he had a friend in Lexington that owned a horse farm. Or maybe it was a friend of a friend, but anyway, he, um, we were going to go do a party, a fundraising party at this horse farm in Lexington, and we were all like, "Oh, this is so great!" But how are we going to show them about Apple Shop? And Jim had a great idea about the radio. He was going to recreate his radio station, his radio program, on at, in Lexington. This was before streaming live and all that. You know, this is '87. We're talking about '88. So Jim, where he had his car packed up, he had a table, a folding table, and and uh, boom boxes and CD or whatever it might have been. B I don't remember the technology. He had he had posters, he had T-shirts, and um, he drove up to Lexington and and he said we had our party and he set it all up. But there wasn't any electricity on the horse farm because we were outside, <laughs> so he couldn't play any records. Uh, the, uh, he was, had a, it depended on plugging in. That, it did not face him in the least, and he just stood by the table and told everybody that came by what it would be like, this first-person narrative nonstop for the whole day. And I'm sure everybody who was at that party remembers Jim's live radio.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's many people who could who could make a narration of what a live radio show would sound like if there was music sound good, but I can imagine Jim doing it and it being really funny. <laughs> he did it.
3: <laughs> yeah, you would pick up what he was going to play. In a
0: show. <laughs> it was like show and tell of yeah. the show he would planned.
3: <laughs> yeah. And of course he was laughing, and so, you know, everybody had to get into it.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh.
4: Uh, I'm Scott Goble. I live in Campbell County, Kentucky, uh, just uh, south of Cincinnati. Uh, I first met Jim, I think, in 1997, the, um, the winter before I had done a workshop with a uh, local writer here in Cincinnati named Richard Haig, and um, we... Uh, we had a public reading. It was a six-week-long workshop, and so we had a pub- public reading that was very successful. And uh, sometime around August, uh, Haig asked me, he said, there's something you need to go to. You need to go to this writers' group that meets in uh, Newmarket, Tennessee at the Highlander Center called the Southern Appalachian Writers' Co-op. And so I made the plans to go, sent my $90 in, and looked forward to it, and um, got there, and on the way down, uh, Haig kept telling me a story about this man that they called the Ski King, and what kind of a—he had a piece of property up on Pine Mountain in Letcher County, and what a remarkable guy he was, and he was just a lot of fun. And and he was a, a great writer, had written the most famous poem in Appalachia called Get in Jesus, which I had no knowledge of. And um, so the four-hour trip to Highlander, you know, he kept talking about this this uh, ski king, Jim Webb, and and um, so he said, "But whatever you do, don't ask him how he got the name Ski King." And now that I look back on it, there was another writer in the car. Joe Hensweiler, uh was uh, an Alaskan writer. Uh, he was originally from here in Campbell County. He was in the car with us and. They just kind of joked around about it, and and so we got there probably five in the evening and had dinner, and and I kept asking, well, you know, where is this guy? Well, he shows up, guy comes walking in the door after we'd all had dinner, and we're sitting down to kind of enjoy the evening and, and swarp a little bit, and this guy comes in with a hot pink sweatshirt and a... Um, a ball cap that was just filled with silver sequins sparkling you know through the night and when he came in he just everybody just shut down they were so happy to see him and he was carrying a box full of t-shirts and sweatshirts that he had for sale and cds and so forth and so um that was my first experience um meeting jim webb the ski king and uh, in the course of that weekend, um, you know, just kind of got to know him a little bit, and he invited me down to um, Wiley's Last Resort the following summer for Seed Time. And uh, the Southern Appalachian Writers Co-op always has a um, a reading there on Saturday during Seed Time. And I've been, that was, I think, 1998, and I've been coming to Seed Time Every year since then,
0: I wonder if you could tell just maybe if you have one just really vivid memory of Jim um, that you'd want to share
4: okay well, I think the most vivid memory the one that stands out the most is uh, I did my master's uh, my graduate work on Jim Webb and One of the reasons why I decided to pursue this is I got to know Jim more and more. I kept looking for more of his writings in print, and I found them all over in libraries and so forth. And uh, on eBay, I once spent $25 on on an early, you know, thin volume of poetry. Um, And part of my master's thesis was I wanted to write about Jim, about his life and his what I, by that time, had come come to know as, as his importance as a writer, and one of the things I wanted to do, I needed his permission to do that, but one of the things I wanted to do was to put together uh, a monograph, a full volume of his own work. And um, we worked for about a year and a half, two years, finding poems. We had... Uh, Friends send in copies of poems. Jim had suffered several fires and other losses of his work through the years. Many people know about the fires on Pine Mountain, but he had a big loss of work in Michigan uh, many years ago, a whole summer's worth of work that he he, uh, unfortunately lost. So putting this book together was just great, and I remember uh, Charlie Hughes, the publisher of Wynn, showed up at uh, the Salk meeting at Highlander, with a box full of books and I I got there I was in the parking lot and we waited for Jim to come it was Jim's the first time that Jim saw his book uh, Get in Jesus and um, we stood there in the parking lot at the Highlander Center Um, nobody wanted to go in because we were sitting around in the parking lot drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon and uh, just taking in the the evening it was a beautiful day and the just a look on Jim's face was just absolutely amazing. That was one of the happiest times I've seen
0: him. How, how do you hope that Jim is remembered and or um, how do you think that Jim would want to be remembered?
4: I think that Jim will be remembered as this remarkable impresario who helps so many different artists and musicians. Uh, He purchased their art, he purchased their music, he promoted them, you know, when he thought they either were great or they had the potential to be great. Um, I think that the amazing thing about him that he'll be remembered, he, he traveled in so many different universes. He traveled in the universe of writers, he traveled in the universe of musicians, radio people. And scholars, Appalachian uh, regional scholars, and uh, I think that he'll be remembered for that. He was the Appalachian everyman. As far as how I think he would like to be remembered, um, I think he would want to be remembered as a writer.
5: Uh, I'm Pam O'Field Mead. Uh, I live down in uh, White Oak, Kentucky, in Morgan County. Um. I first met Jim here at Apple Shop in Whitesburg uh, not long after the radio station first started, so 30-some-odd years ago. Over these 30 years, I've I've spent quite a bit of time in Whitesburg, you know, working. I'm a visual artist, so I've had art shows and have worked with Apple Shop on uh, various projects. And so I would... um, It seems like about every time I, I was here, I would run into Jim, and it was just always uh, such a treat, because, um, you know, it's just, he's, I just felt like he was such a good friend. I know he had many, many really, really good friends, but we would hug and talk about art, and he, Jim was a, a huge supporter of of all arts but especially the visual arts and he would come to all my shows and at their group shows I'm in a group up here epicenter arts and and he would buy art he he loved paintings and um some of us would go up to his place while he's last resort and paint and um I've camped up there you know we would go during the week me and some of my girlfriends that were artists and and, and we'd go, like I said, during the week when there uh, wasn't a lot of people there and stay a few days and nights and paint and swim in the pond. And um, t- he was a grac- very gracious host and loved to have us there. And uh, those are real special memories. And just I mean, being at uh, up at the resort, first of all, mm-hmm. in the summer, you know, be a hot humid Kentucky day and you'd go up on the mountain it was just always so lovely it seemed like that. just nice and cool all the shade and and um and so beautiful just all the rocks and plants and uh the mountains and but I, I what I wanted to tell you is like I, I love rhododendron and I, I use I put rhododendron in a lot of my paintings, and the rhododendron I use my uh, my uh, what do you say my sample of is from Jim's. You know, I had this one photo that had this great rhododendron draping down and just was growing in all the the cool ways rhododendron will grow. You know, sort of uh, goes every which way. Yeah. So it's always funny. It's like that same bunch of rhododendron <laughs> is in all my paintings. But, Yeah. <laughs> But that's, So that's, a, of course, a, a good memory, just being there, making art.
0: I wonder if you have um, thoughts on either how you would want people to remember Jim, or if you think you know how he might want to be remembered.
5: Yeah. Um, well, I know he would want, want to be remembered. He would want us to to keep him in our hearts and m- memories forever <laughs> because he he I think he knew how much he was loved. I hope he knew how much he was loved and admired and respected and, and you know one way w- we do that is by um, supporting this radio station WMMT um, he he loved this radio station and worked hard. To get it started and to help keep it going, fundraising. So the best way to remember Jim is to get your checkbook out <laughs> and send a donation re- regularly. You know, every year.
0: Well, do you have? Is there anything, any other story or memory you'd want to share?
5: Um, I'll I'll think of it as soon as we get done here. I know, here. That's I'm, how it I'm goes. sure. <laughs> um, some of them I can't tell. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. <laughs> well Oh okay, I'll tell one one night I camped up there and, and it started raining and everybody uh went to to their tent their you know, went on to bed and I was still awake. We had had the gallery open in that cabin that night and I thought, I'm gonna clean up all this mess they'd cooked and you know, and had beverages and I thought I was just doing such a good thing cleaning up, and but I forgot to uh, sort the recyclables out. And the next day, I was like, "Oh, Jim, I forgot to sort the recyclables out—the cans." And you know, I just quickly because everything was wet, and he got so mad at me. Oh. So that was—that's another way we can honor Jim is to remember to take care of our environment and to to do right by this world and and always recycle and wash your uh, plastic forks and spoons. Do not throw those away. <laughs> Anybody? Uh, uh, I heard somebody say, D. Davis said that Jim probably won the award for wash, washing uh, plastic forks over the <laughs> here. <so. laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we'll miss Jim forever, f- for sure, so.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah.
6: Well, my name's Greg Wagner, and um, the first time I met Jim was... Um, Actually, at the seed time on the Cumberland Festival, I heard it was in 1996, and I was coming back from Jenkins, and I heard about this festival on the radio, and I thought, well, oh, that sounds kind of embarrassing, so I stopped, and, um, you know, somehow I got talking to Jim, and, you know, in his own little way, he's like, well, where are you staying tonight? And I'm like, well, probably at the um, Parkway, I think it's called, and he's like, well, why don't you just camp up on the mountain? And I'm like, really? So I just camped up on the mountain that night. And it was just, that's kind of how you met Jim. And all of a sudden you were like best friends and things like that. And, you know, I've been pretty much going back ever since. And it was just, a, it was a great experience.
0: How would you want people to remember Jim? Or how do you think he'd want to be remembered?
6: I don't think he'd want to be mourned. That's for that guy, I'm sure. Um, Jim wanted to be known as an activist, someone that hated mountaintop removal with a passion. And, um, you know, if you ever got his invitations to his party, one of my favorite things were, intolerance of any type will not be tolerated. That was a play on words as if there is a better one in the world, you know. But um, Jim would wanted to be remembered as somebody that cared about Appalachia and was a good poet and someone that gave a damn. And that's how he will be remembered for sure, I think, by many people. Well, there's a, there's a story I can remember distinctly, and it's, I don't remember how long ago it's been, maybe five, six years ago. Um, Jim, uh, Jeff Chapman Crane, and myself had a one-on-one meeting with Kentucky Governor Steve Bashir at his office in Frankfurt. and. I can remember Jim was talking about all the great things going on in Whitesburg, the music scene, and and all that was coming back, but he also talked about some of the bad things that were going on, and he talked about how mountaintop removal was destroying the land and the water and the mountains, and how it was hurting tourism, and the governor responded, well, mountaintop removal provides much-needed jobs, and Jim shot back, said, so there's more people that work at Walmart in Kentucky than there are in the mines And then Jeff pulled out a jar of water from his father's well. And, you know, it was all brown-looking water, and Jim took the jar and asked the governor if he'd want to drink some of it. And Governor Bashir, he got a bunch of pictures of grandkids, all his grandkids behind his desk. And he said, no, I don't think so. And, And Jim, he says, well, Governor, if that water's not good enough for you and your grandkids, why is it good enough for us and our grandkids? And the shirt just kind of looked at him like, "Holy Toledo!" I didn't hear that business. You know, it was just kind of like, "Man!" But he was so passionate about the mountains and the things he loved. And you know, that was his a that was his ability to catch as many people from different backgrounds. You know, to get them to enjoy common experiences. And really, the places, the world's a better place because that guy. You know, and each person that knew Jim's a better part, has a better outlook on life. They're a better person for being in his orbit. Quite honestly, that's a definition of a successful person, and that's why people were attracted to Jim. His enthusiasm for life was addictive. If every County and and the nation had a Jim Webb, we'd sure in the hell have a better country. It, it's, it, I, I guess the the thing that I you know I just never. You know I know how I knew how special he was when he was alive. So Trish, my wife, and and, and I. When he was alive, but it, it, even knowing that didn't prepare me for what I was going to feel that, you know, the void and the pain of his death. I mean, I've never felt that pain with anybody that's died in my life. I mean, you know, and it's pretty much the same reason everybody loved Jim. I mean, I love Jim with my whole heart. It was just, and that's what made this so tough is because, you know, he was just different. Pure and simple, the man was different. He communicated to different, and you know, I don't know. I just ne- I'll never look at another flamingo or full moon or sunset or, or hearing a snort for the love of God. <laughs> What's I thinking of that dude, you know? And, you know, I'm just glad and lucky that I got to enjoy him like he did.
4: Yeah.
0: You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. In this episode, we're remembering the one and only Jim Webb, better known on the radio as Wiley Quixote. Jim passed on October 22nd, 2018 at his home, Wiley's Last Resort, on top of Pine Mountain. On this show, friends and family share some of their favorite memories of the unforgettable Wiley Q.
5: Robert Gipe. I
7: live in Harlan, Kentucky. Uh, from 1989 to 1995, I worked at the Apple Shop in Westport, Kentucky, and um, I was a, a drive-time disc jockey on WMNT. And uh, during that time, Jim Webb was most of that time was the program director for WMNT, and so my relationship with him was in that capacity. Also, um, we were just fellow Apple Shop staffers. I was the director of Apple Shop Marketing and Sales and then Apple Shop Educational Services after that. And so, um, and then also, I was, uh, I designed many, many t shirts for Jim Webb. Um, In the beginning, I I think the first t shirt I ever designed for him was for the Pink Flamingo Soiree. And then, of course, I I guess I did 25 or so more over his lifespan. I remember uh, in the early days, I had particular ideas about what I thought they should look like. And Jim, um, in the early years, I I was concerned that my artwork was being adulterated by Jim's uh, Palette, his personal color palette. I, um, I was not ready to be represented in so many pastel colors and so many um, colors worthy of you know highway workers and uh, who were trying to mostly avoid um, being hit by vehicles and not necessarily wearing those colors as a fashion choice. And I forget, at some point, I just gave up. It just wasn't worth it. It was, um, uh, you know, I got into a better place in my own personal development, and I was more comfortable in just doing work for Jim and knowing it was Jim's work, too. And so um, things went a lot better after that. And then I realized that, you know, he was probably right all along and that I had been foolish to think I knew what I was doing.
0: Yeah, so I wonder if, if there are like one or two just really vivid or favorite memories you have of Jim.
7: If I told you the story about um, playing Long black, black Veil on the accordion, so, so a lot of times I wouldn't go to the soiree, but I, so it is, it, uh, several shirt designs had accumulated that I didn't have a shirt for my, you know, files, and so I went up there one year and I uh, went in the cabin and went in his bedroom and there were all these shirts piled up. He said, "Just go in there and get whatever you want." And so I was in there kind of rooting around, and they were piled up everywhere. Um, he came in. And I think he might have been uh, drinking or something because he uh, he didn't realize I was in the room, and it was really a small <laughs> room. And for those of you uh, listening on the you radio, know, I'm like six five and weigh north of two hundred pounds, but he couldn't he didn't know I was in there. And he was with a woman, and he was kind of I guess you'd call it pitch and woo, and he says to her, he says, uh, have you ever heard, any, have you ever heard anybody play long black veil on the accordion? This was like his pickup line. And she said, no, I, I haven't heard anyone play long black veil on the accordion. And he said, would you like to? And she didn't say anything. And he took that as, Yes. And so he got up on the bed and uh, and made a big production of putting on his accordion. And she and I, she could see me. She could tell I was there because I was afraid I might have, I might be invisible. And and I didn't know, I didn't know what I was going to do if I was invisible, but she could see me. And so Jim's putting on his accordion, it takes forever to put it on. And he opens that accordion, he pulls it to full extension, he goes,
8: Wah.
7: and then he just passed out. He like fell backwards and passed out with the accordion at full extension across his chest. And then she and I left.
0: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well that's a good one.
1: Yeah. It was a bad <laughs> moment.
0: Did you really um, think you might have been invisible?
7: Well, you don't, you never know. Yeah. You never knew uh, up there on the top of Pine Mountain. Especially if you're
0: 6'5", I guess, and people can't see yeah. you. Yeah.
7: I always figured, even if I was, that they could see my clothes, because I have my clothes on. <laughs> oh, uh, I'll tell you, what. can I tell you one more? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, has anybody told you about the, specky, the great Specky Cornet fight?
0: Mm-mm.
7: So, when... Uh, has they, or are you just being a good interviewer? No, no,
0: no, for real. I haven't heard any of these stories.
7: <laughs> so, um, so Jim when Jim Webb was in high school, um, he got in a fight with this boy named Specky Cornett. Because I guess he came to Hazard. He didn't grow up all the time in Hazard, but he graduated from Hazard High School. And back then, the high school was on the hill, up there where the La Citadel is, up on, you know, in that downtown Hazard. So he got in a fight, and I had heard him tell this story several times, often at the Golden Pines, which was a place to eat and drink and pound that we often went to before Whitesburg was wet. And this was like Jim Webb's Iliad, the story of the Great Second Corn Fight. It would take... An hour and a half for him to tell story, and it would involve numerous detours about shoes and hazard and haircuts. And, you know, it just was. And people uh, would get him distracted and forget he was even telling the story. The Becky Cornett fight, and <laughs> and um, and I always enjoyed bringing him back. You know, it's like you now, Jim, don't forget you were out there fighting Becky Cornett, and he'd come back. But so when Ada called me and said, you would better, better go see him." That was getting close to the end. So I was driving from Highland to go see him, and I, I, um, I was, you know, I was having a hard time and crying, and uh, I thought, well, I don't know if he'll be able to tell it, but I want to hear the specky corner. Story one more time and actually what it was i was trying you know i knew of enough of it to tell it some, but uh i couldn't remember why they started fighting and so i said well if he's got anything left i want to know why he's fighting that's funny. and so i got over there and you know it was we people were in and out a lot of people in and out saying visiting with Jim, and uh, but I found myself alone for a minute. I said, uh, I said Jim, why were you fighting Becky Cornett? And his, his eyes got big, and he was having trouble carrying on a conversation. His eyes got big, and he looked around, and he looked at me, and he goes, Becky Cornett was a tush hawk. <laughs> and then he proceeded to tell me most of the story. I guess uh, uh, a woman liked Jim. A woman at the high school liked Jim. And Jim was uh, dating her aunt at the time. And uh, but Specky, Specky, I guess, was a bully and greedy. Well, he was a tush hog is what he was, Rachel. <laughs> but the other thing I would say... Is that when I said goodbye to Jim, it was tough. And I gave him a kiss on the forehead and I said, you taught me everything I know. Jim looked at me and he said, in that case, can I have $20? And
0: that was it. Yeah. (laughs)
9: Still joking on his way out, huh?
0: i reckon yeah
9: yeah um my name is tanya turner and i live here in letcher county and work at the apple shop but i haven't been at the apple shop very long just uh, less than a couple years i've been in letcher county about almost nine years now i moved here um, after college and growing up in bell county and i would never really spent any time over here And I remember the first, my first trip ever to Whitesburg, I went to Summit City, and the next day to Wiley's Last Resort. (laughs) So I definitely had a a wild first visit to Letcher County, and that was maybe about 10 years ago.
0: And so... I don't actually know this story about you. (laughs) So you you first ended up living in Letcher County at Jim's up at Wiley's?
9: Yeah. So I was um, still a student at Eastern Kentucky University um, and was um, running with an activist crowd um, fighting strip mining and... uh, I had went to this like spring break thing and it was in Virginia, I think. And then after that, some people were like, hey, we're going to go swimming at this pond um, up on top of Pine Mountain. And I think that's how I first ended up getting swept in. And then there was like a party at Summit City. And I don't actually think I met Jim at Wiley's that day. Um, I don't know. It's been 10 years, so it's kind of hard to remember. Maybe I just didn't really meet Jim you know sometimes he's just uh cleaning stuff up or running around the resort you know a lot of times the the Wiley's Last Resort is a very magical place and sometimes it seems like little elves come and clean things up and keep it going because that's a lot of upkeep but that little elf is Jim Webb and um he did a lot behind the scenes to make that place a joyous um magical resort for a lot of people And so after a short stint in uh, spending the summer in Knoxville, I moved to Wiley's um, to help build a structure up on his property, a big pavilion up on the new flat. Um, And so before I found a house, I just lived in my tent at Jim's and I actually moved up there in the spring of 2010. Um, in March, I think it was because I graduated high school. I graduated college in 09 So it was like this the spring after that And I still had a house in Lexington um, and Lexington just, just did not feel like where I needed to be. And so, uh, Whitesburg felt like the perfect place to feel like I was still home in the mountains, but far enough away that my mom couldn't drop in on me unannounced. <laughs> you know, it's like, I still say that's why I'm here. It's like, I'm home yet. I have some privacy. <laughs> my family is uh, a perfect distance away so I can just drop in for dinner. Um, but you know, everyone's got to call for as <laughs> it's just it's like an hour and a half. Um, But speaking, so um, anywho, I'll get to this tent situation because when I moved up to Wiley's Last Resort, you know, Pine Mountain is kind of its own microclimate. And there was about a foot of snow on the ground when I moved up there in March, (laughs) which is not a time you want to live in a tent. So fast forward, that was, you know, March, April, May <laughs> that was living up there finally it warmed up the snow melted thank God and, and I, then he left <laughs> and then I got an actual house <laughs> but um that summer uh Jim hosted a huge uh, like mountain justice gathering up on his property with this new structure and um, and so when all these hippies showed up, I thought, you know, we really just need to keep these people up here and not have people down in town just like aggravating everybody. just you know, whatever. And so um, one of the first nights uh, we were trying to give people some orientation and tell them, you know, where things were on the property, but also if they needed to go to town where they could get Wi-Fi, where the library was, Summit City, like some things. Uh, and but then we were like, but, you know, we're we're up here camping. But if you go into town, you need to look nice. You know, don't go into town. You know, be respectful. <laughs> this You know, don't go into town smelling bad or, you know, whatever. Uh, Just like, you know, there are solar showers. Take care of yourself. I know we're camping up here and it's hot. It's June. But like, get it together if you're going to go into town. And, you know, maybe just stay up here if you can. If you don't need to go into town, don't, ball, don't, don't, just stay up here. <laughs> I was like, I need to protect town from all these people, <laughs> which was obviously ridiculous <laughs> because I had been in Wattsburg three months. And of course, I already knew everything there was to know about Wattsburg. And, you know, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. But, um, so I said all this on the microphone and people were like, okay, you know, and then Jim goes up on the mic. And I was like, now, you know, our host, Jim Webb, you know, this you know, we, this wouldn't be possible without Jim, and I hope all of y'all can get to know him this week. And he comes up, and he's like, you know, does a big, welcome to Wiley's, you know, troubadours and hippies and all the, you know, all the people. So glad to have you here, la, la, la. He said, and he said all these things about the resort and how he helped everyone had a great time. You know, he just, yeah, he, he was in his element with an audience. And they said... And be sure you go into town. Don't, you know, make sure you go into town and have a good time. We want you to go into town, spend your money. <laughs> so don't listen to her. Go into town, spend your money, have a good time. And I'll stay her on the side. I'm just like, oh, my God. Go have a great time in town. And if anyone bothers you, just tell them you're with Apple Shop. <laughs> and I thought, oh, God. Walked off stage, I was like, Oh, great, okay. <laughs> well, never mind anything I said. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was very much of a um, ambassador to Letcher County and Whitesburg and wanted um, to create spaces both on the mountain and in town where people could, where the meetings of the minds could happen and people could get to know each other and celebrate this place.
8: Well, um, I'm uh, Gurney, and um, I'm from uh, Perry County and Letcher County in my early life, and um, um, that's always home to me. And uh, Apple Shop and the, the larger community around Apple Shop is just like home folks to me. And uh, Jim, um, I met in, I think it was um, about 1978. I was living in California at the time, uh, but uh, starting to make my way back to Kentucky and um uh, in the mountains uh, uh writers were discovering each other and uh small publications uh had were coming out um and uh, um so I was just extremely interested in that and, and in fact the uh, uh development of a, just our literary community in uh, in the mountains had a good deal to do with my uh, desire to uh, get back home from California, where I had lived, you know, 15 years. So anyhow, um, um, the uh, small group of writers here in the mountains, um put together a uh, weekend uh, sort of uh, conference, you could call it, about a dozen uh, writers from um, eastern Kentucky West Virginia, East Tennessee and uh, other places, Southwest Virginia, uh, at Highlander um, down in Tennessee, um, conference Center. And I made the trip from uh, California uh, to uh, come to Highlander for this, uh, for this gathering. And um, so we must have had probably 20 writers from all over. Uh, uh, and it was the first such meeting that um, I ever knew about um, in the mountain region. And um, so um, we convened, I think it was uh, on Friday evening, and uh, talked and got to know each other and so forth. And it was along
5: later in the
8: the next day, Saturday, that uh, there arrived uh, two or three people from the head of West Virginia, one of them uh, was Jim Webb. Jim uh, was had you know lived in West Virginia for a good long while, and uh, um, and the arrival of these West Virginians was just electric. <laughs> uh, we had uh, been having a good meeting, but I wouldn't call it very lively, (laughs) Um, but then there arrived uh, Jim and a couple of his friends, and it just transformed the whole weekend. Uh, The whole place just lit up with this certain quality Jim brought with him. Um, He was, um, uh, for one thing, he uh, read to us some of his uh, early poetry. And uh, he it had so much energy and humor. And um, so I think everybody there uh, that weekend, all those years ago, would remember uh, that the uh, just the energy and humor and vitality that, uh, that, that Jim uh, just Im- embodied. And uh, I loved him immediately and we became kind of colleagues uh, uh, at a distance. But because—are you there? I'm still here, yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But because uh, of this um, uh, early um, version of uh, uh, Appalachian writers uh, organizing uh, had so much to do with my— a uh, choice to uh, uh, get myself back to Kentucky. So anyhow, that that's the, uh, was the beginning. And, um, um, <clears throat> uh, oh, yeah, I should say uh, that Jim's uh, just general humorous uh, irreverence. <laughs> was uh it, it just it was the spirit of the times. It, it transformed our weekend meeting at Highlander. <laughs> Didn't take long. And so uh, from there Jim and I became friends uh, and uh riding buddies. Uh, and uh finally I did um, move back uh to uh, Kentucky in uh in uh fall of nineteen seventy nine and um Apple shop of course was um, well in business and uh, that uh, uh, was the um, um, i don't know just such a lively bunch of young people uh, um, the, um, and, and and so suddenly um i thought i was in California, a uh, part of a pretty uh, dynamic literary world, <laughs> but it was so uh, when when I got home that I really uh, um, felt that I had uh, found my people, and uh, so I uh, always thought of Jim as uh, as a as a source of energy. Uh, of, you know, he had irreverence. He was funny. And he could name it. He nailed it, you know, uh, with his uh, his words. I hope his uh, total creative effort is is collected. It's the occasion for a very good uh, Jim Webb book. Um, so, um, um, and that and that he um, uh, finally found his place. Um, um, there in um, in uh, at Apple Shop and especially uh, in radio. Um, it, it's a happy story, really. Um, that any any of us, if we can find our home and a means of uh, expression, whether we are musicians or actors or whatever, uh, or we practice um that we that we find their place and um um I mean I feel like I was 55 years old before I realized that um, what my place was <laughs> but um, but but Jim also uh, made that experience available uh to many many people that they could feel that they uh, had a place in in Jim's orbit, and um, I have not um, um, been a, a regular uh, listener. I haven't had access to WMMT, um, you know, um, uh, in a in a steady way year by year, um, um, but. Uh, but Jim, uh, Jim's voice uh, is, is with us, and, uh, and we, um, we will continue to appreciate him and say sweet things about that boy.
0: That was Gurney Norman, Kentucky writer and friend of the late Jim Webb. I think it's fair to say that WMMT wouldn't be what it is today without the love, the passion, energy, humor, and larger-than-life persona that was Wiley Quixote. We sure miss him here at WMMT and at Apple Shop, but we hope you'll join us in remembering Jim as his friends and family on this program have urged us to. With a laugh so hard it makes you snort, with a pink flamingo in your yard, or, with being brave enough to shine as bright as you possibly can in this wild world. You can find this and other episodes of Mountain Talk on our website at WMMT.org or on SoundCloud and Stitcher. I've been your host, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio.